Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. We're both also just a little bit under the weather. Yeah. I had this cold where, like, it was never really that bad, but now I have, like, the post-cold of, like, a man who had, like, an extremely large amount of congestion where I'm waking up and I, like, can barely breathe. Yeah. It sucks. I, too, have got a little bit of a thing. It's like like I caught it through the screen. (laughs) For the the friends of DeSoto watching at home, I don't know, I'd maybe turn off the video part if that's how this is transmitted. Yeah. We're like college roommates who've synchronized their illnesses, Ben. I know. I know. I used to never get sick, and then something changed like 10 years ago, and now I get sick all the time. You really do. This is a, an observation my wife even had. She was when I when I told her you were feeling away, and that it had impacted some recent travel of yours. She was like, "Yeah, Ben's been getting sick a lot lately, huh?" And I was like, "Yeah, I guess so." I was telling my wife, I was like, "I feel like I never want to take a vacation again because I get sick every time I go somewhere." That's the worst time. It sucks. I'd rather be sick on my own time when I'm doing <laughs> my own bullshit. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's bad timing, man. It's not It's not good. It's not COVID. It's not COVID either. We should probably say that. It's just like- We live the, in a the, world where you you can say you're sick and then you have to specify w- one specific thing you're not sick with. Buddy of mine up in Seattle also has a head cold. And he's like, yeah, I bailed on some plans. And uh, it used to be you always showed up for the plans no matter how you were feeling. Yeah. And now it, you have a license to bail. Which is encouraged socially. It's a nice license. Which is great. Yeah, we should have had these licenses all along. I feel like I gave myself that license early, yeah. in, early in my life. You were bailing before it was cool. Yeah, yeah I'm a bailing hipster. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ooh, I'm drinking some nice tequila, Adam. This is a bottle that you got me. Are you now? Mm-hmm. This is is a uh, Dos Artes Blanco that you picked up for me. Beautiful yeah. bottle. Very easy sipper. It's my dessert tequila of choice. I really like it a lot. It might be too desserty <laughs> for most things. Yeah. Like I, I don't know if I would make a margarita with this. It's too desserty. I wouldn't and couldn't. Like some bottles are at a price point where like you just don't want to mix them, you know, <laughs> on uh, principle. Gonna, what am I going to do? I'm going to put this with some fucking limes from gelson's no right. way <laughs> yeah and so yeah i think once you get into gift bottle altitude mm-hmm. i kind of prefer to drink those things straight just on principle but yeah i mean i'm not going to tell you what to do with your bottle you can do whatever you want with it but i wonder what arita would taste like with an especially sweet blanco as that is it's it really it is especially vanilla yeah yeah to my palate but i really like it for that reason I think it's good. It is good. I'm enjoying it. I Look feel at like you I... having a head cold drinking some booze. Good for you. I'm I'm drinking an emergency. Is it bad? I I sometimes wonder this. I love a hot toddy when I'm congested. I've been drinking hot toddies all week. I've been I, I've been drinking like virgin hot toddies. I, oh. I always do like uh, what's like that gonna do? Squeeze out one lemon, 
add a little bit of honey and then pour hot water into the mug. Yeah. Like, uh, That's good I guess stuff. it's just like hot honey lemonade, which is something my, my mom used to make me when I was a kid. Oh, that's I nice. I don't know if it's helping or not. She'd put it in one of those uh, hamster bottles and attach it to the side of your cage. <laughs> yeah. Not often that I got a hot drink from those the, yeah. the hamster bottle, but uh, <laughs> sure, that was a strange sensation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you were pre-verbal until like sixteen, so you probably had no way to tell her that uh, <laughs> that it was too hot for you. I have a friend who was speaking full sentences before he could walk God. when he was when he was a little baby. That must have been hell on those parents. Isn't that wild? I mean, like he's he's like a totally galaxy brain guy like he's one of one of the smartest people i know and yeah would you rather have have crying or sentences (laughs) i honestly don't know which would be worse (laughs) yeah not a terribly athletic guy oh (laughs) you don't say (laughs) well adam i feel like our problems have really swarmed around us lately oh yeah sure have I, do you want to God, get you have, in? you have me wanting to switch to tequila, but I'm gonna I'm gonna finish what I got here as we get into Star Trek Voyager season three episode four, the Swarm. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. <laughs> BLT and uh, Tom Paris are in a race car bed, looking for energy. This is the Subaru Brat class shuttle that they're in. The new Subaru Brat, inexpensive and built to stay that way. Just tell them it saves you money, buster. You get a really good look at this thing from all angles. You do. It's like when you see a semi-truck without a trailer, how how weird it looks. Yeah. It looks like a, a semi-truck tractor belongs with a trailer, but when right. you see just the tractor, that's what the shuttle looks like. Looks like it should be carrying something. It's got that sloped back, like there should, like something should hitch onto it. You're right. I want to see that. I, I do too. I want to see it carry some cargo. But all it's carrying is Paris and BLT, and they're on a what was that style sensor <laughs> double check mission. Yeah. And they've been at it for five hours. And this is something that Paris brings up. Like Paris has got the stamina for long missions. He's he's used to sitting on his leather ass. <laughs> looking at the console like he's like some poker players i know who just never get up from the table who can just fucking sit and sit and sit this kind of makes sense right like when you think of blt at work she's like marching around yeah. in engineering she's moving from screen to screen she's blt's a standing desk and paris yeah. is a is a sitting desk paris sits all, all day at work it's mm-hmm. like uh you know when when my wife and i go on a flight together i'm I, I do quite a bit more flying in general than she does. And I really have a mode that I drop into when I'm on an airplane that she's like wanting to have a conversation with me. I'm like, no, 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 we're already in our seats. So I'm going to be watching this movie now or whatever. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> I was trying to uh, guess what the mode would be that you'd describe. And I was like, okay, uh, two Bloody Maria's in the lounge. Yeah. Uh, two more on the plane before takeoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, headphones on throughout. <laughs> yeah. uh, Don't talk to me during, and that's it's, it. It's Adam Pranica in a movie theater. It's like I, that I is will, absolutely it. Yeah, I will. I, I will alienate everyone 
<laughs> attempts to, to strike up a conversation with me. Ben, historic announcement for me. I went to the my first movie since <gasps> the pandemic started. Wow. Welcome back. It felt What'd great. you see? I saw Licorice Pizza. Oh, great. Did you enjoy? I did enjoy. It was a... Uh, I used to take myself out to movies all the time. It was it was significant just to do the act of seeing a movie again. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm really glad I got to do it. Like, we've lived in L.A. for how long and have not seen what L.A. is known for? Yeah. It was really great. It rules. The Delaney sisters have some competition for off-screen love interest characters in Lieutenant Bristow, a dude who's trying to kick it to BLT. I've noticed he's been making any excuse to hang around engineering. This is really high-functioning Paris here, because if you weren't really paying attention, you might miss the soft pass that he makes at her. But this is the kind of pass that gets done to where... Like, when you're really good at this, you mm-hmm. can make a turn down to a soft pass not feel like a letdown, where yeah. it can just feel like a conversation you had that didn't lead anywhere. And that's what happens here. Like, Paris makes the pass in such a way that the letdown doesn't hurt. It's just kind of quippy and fun, and that's it. Paris is so horny on Maine so much of the time that I was really impressed with this, like, I am not going to, like, take it badly and get shitty with you if I get turned down in this moment. Am I making any sense here? Because they are in a confined space. and She can't go anywhere. If it is not done with this kind of deftness, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Jordy would never ask out anyone on a shuttle that they're on. Bullshit. Or if he did, they would then feel trapped on that shuttle with him. Right, right. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think it helps that BLT could easily kick Tom Paris's ass. It does help, right? But she's not going to have time because they start picking up some signals and pretty quickly some lobstermen beam into the shuttle. Surrender your mysteries to Zoidberg. And blast them and they pass out. I love it when an alien's sounds sound like the costume they're wearing (laughs) yeah these aliens sound like the rubber suits that they're wearing yeah yeah they sound Uh, like people wearing rubber suits who have gotten into a bed with rubber sheets and are just kind of rolling around i feel i also feel like for the first time voyager is taking real advantage of its dark lighting scheme with an alien character like we see these guys a few times in this episode but they're always in kind of shadow and so you never get a great look at them and they're much scarier for that right exactly i like what i'm seeing here i like what i'm hearing here also if you liked hearing that tell me how you felt about hearing the doctor sing a little bit of opera (laughs) sure (laughs) it's a fun variation on the theme of star trek characters having fancy hobbies like this is not (laughs) this is not concerto this is opera it's yeah it's sort of the same and it looks like a reskinned sandrines as a location for this right it does yeah i wasn't sure if it was just sandrines or if it was like sandrines plus opera balcony yeah. <laughs> or something. Sandrine's is for fucking, though. 
Yeah. Which is yeah. why when we cut to the exterior of the holodeck, we see the people kind of tapping their feet, waiting for their turn in Sandrine's once fucking opera practice is over. Yeah. The doc is having a really hard time during practice with his uh, his co-star here. I thought that this was an interesting twist on the techno babble of Star Trek. Like it's techno babble, but for opera terminology. Right. <laughs> it's impenetrable to me because I don't know opera terminology, but uh, they. I thought you lettered in opera. <laughs> I'm surprised by this. No, nah, unfortunately, uh, I got kicked off of the JV squad yeah. in high school. Opera production is is what you lettered in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he is he's kind of making a data argument for I'm good at this. Like I <laughs> have, have made a, an extensive study of all the greats. I have been programmed to reproduce the individual musical styles of over 300 concert violinists, including... Heifetz, Menuhin, Grok. That's enough data. Yeah, there's like a math to his excellence that is inarguable, right? Ray does not hold water with the diva, though. She thinks he sucks. Janeway interrupts opera practice to say that he's got to get his butt to six bay because they've got a Paris and a BLT in there and they've suffered from phaser blast wounds. Yeah. Uh, BLT... Pretty much fine. She's getting a light waved over her and uh, doesn't remember much. The aliens tried to say something to them, but the universal translators didn't work. And in this scene, we get the sense that the doctor may be a bit on the blink because he like forgets where he puts something down. I think this is like after Tuvok and Janeway have already left the room, so they don't right. see this. But uh, You and I go through this a lot. We just edit those parts out. <laughs> Right. What kind of alien is this again? Yeah. Vulcan. Right. Hey, right, what's right. the word for... Oh, never mind. <laughs> BLT gets a clean bill of health from the absent-minded professor pretty quickly, but Paris is in much worse shape. He never woke up. It seems like a solvable problem. It does not seem as though Paris will die from this. It's just going to take some time. Yeah. So they have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. They start talking about the part of space that they're in. And Neelix is there to tell some spooky lobster stories. All Talaxians, you know, when they gather around a campfire, will tell stories about terrifying lobster people. It was a part of space just like this. (laughs) It's a big part of space, too. And they're like, fuck, we like need to... If we go around this, it's going to take forever. It'll add 15 months to our already 75-year trip. We're not going to do that. I like how common this idea is. Like, this seems like something that would make sense. Yet another alien who just does not want their borders crossed. Right. We don't know much about, like, this is a Kazon thing, right? Like, the Kazon didn't want their borders penetrated. And neither do these guys. Except the reputation is somehow worse for this alien species. And and they don't even have a name. Like, that's how little they know about these people. Voyager is like a super entitled American tourist going, (laughs) I've got a blue passport. I could go anywhere. And everybody in the Delta Quadrant is like, "Mm, I don't think so. That is such an accurate depiction of the attitudes here, because after Neelix tells this story, it is not a story that discourages them from going through here at all. The crew are downright excited by the challenge 
of making it through this area of space. And they are making all kinds of uneducated guesses about this alien's ability to, to patrol their own borders and their sensor nets and stuff. They have no idea what these alien capabilities are. And they're yeah. already like hypothesizing that, oh yeah, there's no way they have a, a network big enough to cover the entire area. <laughs> we'll be able to find a way through there, no problem. Yeah, no discussion ever made of like what about if we send a diplomatic overture yeah. and say like hey we're just passing through it, would that be cool we have an inexhaustible amount of bois an emergency buoy why don't we just shoot a couple of those through there <laughs> but no it's tuvok that actually dumps the cold water on everyone is like you know there's actually against starfleet policy to be even talking about this this is Janeway turning into Kirk a little bit, though. She's like, it's shut a, up, yeah. Tuvok. Right. It's like, uh, let's uh, let's ask for forgiveness and not permission. Starfleet's pretty far away. I'm pretty sure we won't get in that much trouble if we run roughshod over this border. Right. Just then, Doc Holliday chimes in with some bad news about Paris's brain. Yeah. Paris's brain in worse shape than he previously thought. And if he doesn't get his motor cortex reconstructed, he, he may never recover. This is a... He may never fuck again. <laughs> this is a, a, a pretty easy procedure, but you should know because it is a procedure. <laughs> we'll have to stick his the lower part of his body into kind of an iron penis situation. <laughs> An iron Delaney sister. Yeah, where we, we keep his body alive while the brain dies. <laughs> so the doctor singing opera while he works. Uh, he's he's scrubbing up for the surgery. This is worse than a coworker playing their own music through a speaker, right? Or like having a speakerphone call or, yeah. or like a, that absent-minded whistler. And then Whistling while you work is fine if you're working alone in an enclosed space. Opera you know? is so much worse. I'd rather work with Chakotay, who is a constant threat of punching coworkers in the mess hall, than yeah. an opera singer. Right. This scene, pretty troubling for Kess, because she's watching him forget where he put stuff down and forget what phase of the procedure they're on. It's interesting. She doesn't get to be the one to like say like, Doc, stop. You're clearly like not yeah. of sound mind. There's, I guess, the sort of power imbalance of her being the apprentice and the junior person there, but she isn't able to advocate for him stopping but she does interestingly get to take the wheel on the procedure itself like he right. pulls himself back and she finishes the thing which is i feel like kind of an inter like it's I don't a know, significant I, I thought, moment right yeah i was like i was like yelling at the screen for kes to get to do something here yeah. and i understand why she couldn't quite speak up about like pulling you know like Beverly Crusher can tell Captain Picard he's not fit for duty right now mm -hmm. because they have like a long history and really do respect each other as equals. And that's just not the dynamic between Kess and the Doc. But I wanted the character to like get a cool moment of agency in this scene. And I thought they found an interesting way for her to do that. That question of the professional org chart hasn't been answered though either. Like Kess is a part of the crew, but not part of the command structure. Right. So she is obligated to take the orders of the doc here in the same way that occasionally people have to take orders from Neelix. Right. I don't know which is worse. I know which one I think is worse. 
But it's weird, yeah. right? It's weird. And when we come back, the captain and BLT have joined them in Six Bay, and BLT is kind of going over what's going on. Um, she's saying that there's kind of like a like a memory leak in the EMH program, and it's breaking down. And the modifications that she made to the EMH to make him a more full-time mm-hmm. part of the crew should have accommodated this, but he's just like developed too many relationships and learned too many things and become too full of a character for that to be possible. Kess presents her relationship to the doc as kind of a power of attorney. Like she <laughs> walks Janeway back from the idea of a, of a hard reboot. Yeah. By advocating for the doc's personhood. And she advocates for this at the doctor as if the doctor needs to be convinced because in this scene, he does. He's like that broken of a program. My primary responsibility is the health and welfare of this crew. In my current state, I am useless to them. He's very broken and he also is very intensely focused on the utility of having a doctor for this crew. He's like, the longer we let this go on, the longer the crew doesn't really have anybody to look after them. Mm-hmm. And like that is so much his primary focus that he doesn't even care about the what is essentially a conversation about do we kill the doctor in order to have a doctor? Like he would essentially die if he lost the last two years of memories. This take here is so funny to me because after Kess makes her case, Janeway is convinced. And then Janeway sort of gives a pep talk to the doctor and then looks around at the rest of the crew, like someone (laughs) making sure that a barista saw her put cash in the tip jar. Like, (laughs) everyone saw that, right? (laughs) Okay, I'm heading back to the bridge. If they don't notice it, what's the point? I like these scenes so much for Cass. Like, she really shines as a character. And Jennifer Lean is so great in these scenes that, like, this is so much better than the version of Cass we used to get, which was just, like, playing opposite to Neelix. during some bullshit, you know? This is good stuff. It's good stuff. This scene put my mind on an interesting track that I wanted to ask you about. The last two years of the Doctor's memory constitute his entire life. Is his character technically younger than Kess? I love that idea. Yeah, absolutely. Kess is is the elder of the two of them. Unless you argued that the Doctor comes to life at exactly Dr. Zimmerman's age... Right. Which I think you could make the argument for, too. I guess so, but like... It's like trip odometer versus total odometer in some cars. <laughs> like, you're right. not selling a car based on trip odometer. You're selling on total miles. So right. that's the same thing that's going on with the dock, which... And with the dock, those are city miles. Yeah, they really are. A lot of bumper to bumper the last two years. I'm just saying, people say it's weird that Cass is treated as an adult and... A relationship with Neelix. The Doc has had adult relationships too, and nobody ever says that about him. Yeah, it's true. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? So on the bridge, Chakotay's been working with Kim on how to get through this mystery alien sensor net, and Tuvok looks on at them while they work out this problem. (laughs) I love what Tuvok is doing here. Like, the micro expressions of disapproval happening yeah. in this scene are beautiful. I, I thought for sure that they were going to be in even bigger trouble than they wind up in in this episode based on how pissed off Tuvok seems. Like the, the like ominous push-ins on Tuvok are so ominous. 
That's the feeling in this scene. Let's stop the mess before it happens. Yeah, but the mess is going to have to happen. So they start sneaking across the border. Yeah. And we cut back down to Six Bay where BLT is working with the dock. She's, uh, you know, turning things off and on, unplugging things and plugging them back in. Uh, he goes blind for a second. Something's not right because now I can't see. Some fun, like, like Robert Picardo going broad <laughs> is big fun to me. Picardo taking umbrage with this. This is one of his great modes as a character. And this is an episode that he really takes over, beginning with the moment that BLT sets up the experiment in the holodeck. There is a troubleshooting program yeah. that that ships have with EMHs that you can begin in the holodeck, and you use a Dr. Zimmerman to help you solve these problems. Like right there in Jupiter Station where the dock was created. So Dr. Zimmerman materializes in this simulation along with the MH, and you can tell them apart because the EMH is in his Starfleet uniform, and Dr. Zimmerman is in like a teal dress and has sort of calzone hair. (laughs) Yeah. And BLT starts falling in love with him. Zimmerman tells BLT, when you touch Doc Holliday, you're actually touching me. (laughs) Oh, man, if the real Dr. Zimmerman ever finds this. Yeah. I'm guilty of a terrible crime, Doctor. Like a kid visiting their old elementary school, Doc Holliday, like, vaguely remembers this place and things about it. Yeah. Even in his compromised state. I seem to remember this place. He's like, it's so much smaller than I remember. (laughs) And if you thought all those soprano opera singers were annoying, you won't like Dr. Zinnemann in this scene. Not at all. It's a real restate the problem that we, the viewers, are already exquisitely aware of scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More a scene about establishing what a brusque character Dr. Zimmerman is than anything else. But, you know, if we're coming to Voyager from DS9, we already know about that also. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice reminder of the greatness of the Nick Burns, your company's computer guy, SNL sketch. Which is the sort of personality that Dr. Zimmerman has here. He is extremely condescending with his advice to Kess and is extremely positive about there being only one course of action to take. You can only fix this problem through reinitialization and it's just going to blow up this guy's wasted memories. Like Dr. Zimmerman looks at the data for Doc (laughs) Holliday and he's like, there is a bunch of shit in here having to do with relationships and emotions Ugh. and Sandrines and stuff. Ugh. Like, blow it out of here. <laughs> it's another person advocating for the clean install of the OS. And that is not a satisfactory answer to BLT. So she's she's got to go help out with the crossing the border stuff that they're doing. They cross into lobster space. You can tell it's lobster space because it starts cold and then... Mm-hmm. Starts heating up imperceptibly. <laughs> what are you saying? Uh-huh. On Long Reach Scanner, they've got a huge ship, and they uh, put it up on view screen. That's no ship, Adam. <laughs> it's ship mist is what it is. Yeah. It's atomized, weaponized ship. Yeah. Well, I've got to get that platinum, get that rolled enlargement A good time so often has a downside doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? 
Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that. Are you planning a heist? What is meant to be terrifying does not discourage Janeway at all. And I was so waiting for Kim especially to be like, I mean, maybe we should turn back and regroup or something. (laughs) But what he does say, he describes their ability to get into this part of space as like a snake through a tube. Like a snake through the tube. Are you shitting my dick? What does that mean to anyone? What does a snake through a tube mean? That's such a specifically Harry Kim image. 
I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. We're going to get through like a bunch of cliff bars through a chute. We're going to get through like <laughs> my dick through the Delaney sisters. <laughs> You're like me falling into a Venice canal. <laughs> this is an exciting moment, though, because like at maximum warp, they could get through lobster space in about 36 hours. But yeah. the problem is, as soon as they make it past this net, there's this drag on the engines. There's there's a particle wave slowing them down. So that is a timeline that is getting lengthened in kind of a scary way, given the ship mist out there. It's like a hornet's nest that they're trying to sneak past. and mm-hmm. Like they, a hornet's uh, nest in a tube. With a snake. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's kind of the coat of arms of Greatest Gen, right? It's a glass of tequila. Mm-hmm. It's a hornet's nest. A tube and a snake. <laughs> So as they are doing this, we cut back down to the Jupiter station simulation where the MH is being made to look at a bunch of original Biff Yeager artwork Mm -hmm. on a screen while Dr. Zimmerman examines his memory pathways. Look at all this useless information floating around your buffer. Friendships with the crew, relationships with women this is where he finds all the nonsense and Kess comes in and is advocating for keeping the opera in the program yeah i mean Kess is defending the doc's decisions and kind of making the case for friendship being a worthwhile reason for living a life right barf But the doc can't even remember Kess, which is such an interesting one-two punch. Like, Kess articulates this great feeling, and then the doc is like, I don't even know who you are. What? I don't know you, and I don't care to know you. Back up on the bridge there, still sneaking, still undetected. The captain gets a little bit wistful, remembering back to her days as a horny teenager sneaking out of the house. (laughs) I used to sneak out of my parents' bathtub. And into the kid down the street's bathtub. It was delightful. (laughs) Tub hopping, we'd call it. We lived in a town called Dawson's Creek. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I think of my tub hopping days, but the music I was hearing back then doesn't quite match up (laughs) to the music you'd hear today if you tried to watch it. There's coffee in that bathtub. They come upon a wrecked ship that has a survivor on it who they beam to six bay. I felt so bad for this actor who got three lines on Star Trek Voyager, but 10 pounds of loaf to say it from underneath. (laughs) This alien looks like a child's drawing of a clown. (laughs) (laughs) A really ugly pile of loaf. Very hard to look at. In some ways, I admire the show for going this route instead of giving us a little piece of loaf between the eyes. Like, Mm -hmm. way to really go all out with the loaf here. But also, maybe pull it back, like, just a little bit. 25% less loaf. (laughs) Would have been nice. Very severe cheekbones on on this kid clown here. This guy spent five hours in the makeup chair. They walked him onto set. They... Shot him out in 10 minutes, and they were like, that's a wrap for uh, whatever this guy is. Yeah. Good work. It kind of undercuts the terror of his story, looking at this guy tell it, right? Yeah. Because what he's saying is like, yeah, my cargo ship got swarmed. And he points up in the upper left-hand corner at at the title of the episode. Mm-hmm. 
these the swarm sucked out my energy and then my ship was boarded and everyone was shot with these pain weapons it's a very painful way to get shot everybody on his ship is dead he will be joining them very soon because uh, his motor cortex is also totally fucked up. They tilt down to his squirting flower that no longer squirts. It's just kind of like <laughs> dribbling hanging, on his chest. Limp off of his chest. <laughs> <laughs> the circus music gets sad. He tries to uh, squeak a, a bicycle horn. It's more like a mournful moan. Yeah. The doctor misses the fact that this guy has died and is trying to treat the corpse. Yeah. Has uh, some of the some of the like motor memory of the doctor, but none of the actual healing skills anymore. Kes comes full circle here. She talks to Janeway and she's like, "All right, unplug him." Like he is he is useless. It's like yeah. working with a with a baby. In there. He's basically less than useless. He's now working at cross purposes with healing people. Right. You know, they're going to need a little more time on this, but... Uh, Janeway's like, keep the doc talking and thinking. Like when you're trying to help keep a hypothermic person from falling asleep. Or somebody with a concussion. Yeah, like the doc went skiing and hit his head on a tree stump. And you gotta, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta keep him going until the guys with the hospital sleds arrive. Janeway's like, we're only two-thirds of the way through this episode, Cass. Keep trying. <laughs> Back on the bridge. Uh, <laughs> Tubak picks up a vessel which has detached from the freighter hull. This is great. I got yeah. a lot of respect for this alien species by leaving a tick behind. Yeah. That that detaches. It's a and little then, trilobite. Like, uh, yeah. look, it's, a, it's a little guy. If they put the shields up, they get scanned. And they try to hail them. Let's see if they might be able to understand us. This is where they're asking for the forgiveness in lieu of the permission they failed to ask for earlier. Janeway is like, hey, like if we could just like continue on our way, that would be awesome. And they and hear the back message these- they get back is like from Independence Day when they... <laughs> <laughs> Like, I I was expecting a, you've entered our space, you're not permitted here, go back home. And instead, the message is like, we told you not to fuck with us. And now we've taken off our shirt in a threatening manner, like, ready to fight in the street. (laughs) Yeah, they get a Polaron burst that hits them. It's not really enough to do any damage. And they're like, that's it? Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll continue on then. But as they continue on, they realize that this Polaron burst has kind of upset the shield modulation they did to travel through this space undetected. And now the swarm is onto them, is aware of their presence, and is converging on their position. Didn't this feel a little Borgsy to you? Like, I feel like the first time we encountered the Borgs, the very first beam they shot at the D wasn't a weapon. It was just sort of to get a sense of their defensive abilities. And that was the vibe I got here with this little beetle. Or even like when they beam onto the Borg ship and the Borg like ignore them until they start messing with stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I thought a very interesting and scary alien. And and now that scary alien is after them and they got to make moves. 
Yeah, what's scary is that they're inside this space, they continue to slow down, and what they need to do is kind of jumpstart the warp engines, which is a procedure you don't do while you're at speed. It's normally something you do while you're stopped. You shut and, down the warp core if you want to realign the matrix. Yeah, and BLT now needs to do this on the fly, like kind of popping the clutch Yeah, on the ship at speed. So she's uh, pulling on her of gloves getting ready to put the needs of the many ahead of the needs of the one. Before I go um, in there, I just want to ask all the cadets to stay at their posts. <laughs> Make sure you stay exactly where you are. When everyone else runs. <laughs> yeah. Y'all stay at your posts. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. We cut back to Six Bay because that's also a main problem in this episode, what's happening to the dog. It's not just existential to the crew, the corporeal yeah. crew. At this point, he is so far gone that he doesn't understand why Kess won't let him leave Six Bay. Stand aside, young woman, or I will have you put on report. I kind of thought she was going to go like, all right, fine, go ahead and leave. Like, see if I care. I definitely got dementia corollary vibes here, right? Like, because this is a scene where the doc seems in some ways to be better. Like, this could be described as a good day for the doc, because at right. least the doc remembers Kess. And then slowly yeah. puts together the reasons why he can't leave Six Bay and then is able to articulate the day he was activated. But like people who deal with dementia, like those are few and far between and only right. a reminder of the person that you're losing. Yeah. And he starts like blinking out and yeah. losing his cohesion holographically is an escalation. So uh, so this is getting pretty worrisome. No less worrisome is the swarm of ships that is surrounding the Voyager. We get a great like rear view mirror up on the view screen shot of the pursuing trilobites. Yeah. And uh, they try like shooting at them. They, they try a phaser blast, which is interrupted by Kess walking onto the bridge and saying like, hey, like I'm really worried about the doc. I think he's basically about to blink out of existence and then we won't have a doctor. And Janeway's like, I'm sorry, I don't really have time for that right now. There are, you see that there are one million ships converging on us. I understand why this moment is grounded in the reality of drama but in no way is this realistic in the moment. And mm -hmm. I wish the reason for the doctor's necessity was less about like his character utility and how badly we need, need him in that way, but like in the actual battlefield utility of an impending conflict where there could be casualties taking yeah. the six bay. Like Lobsters no are going to be messing up people's motor cortexes left and right if, if this breaks the wrong way and we're going to need a doctor. Why not Zoidberg? Not enough is made of that, I think. And that should be why Kess is in there. It should be like, oh, like we're about to go to battle. We're short a doctor. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I'm good enough to be one in this circumstance. I wish there was a little stitch of Kess not being sure she'll be able to get the field promotion to doctor in a conflict situation. Yeah, I think that that would have been a nice way to kind of complete the circle on her taking over on the operation in the earlier scene. Yeah. Like this is her like doing that managing up that she didn't do in that earlier scene. Right. But it would have also been interesting to see it connect back to the idea of like, if it's just me doing these operations, I'm not sure I'm going to be enough. And this is where television writing can go from like really good to great. 
because this is a show that has focused its problem on one character where it had the opportunity to focus it on multiple characters and their different motivations. And that was a choice not taken. So on our way back down to Six Bay, Cass gets a report from, I guess, like a security guard who's there looking after the EMH that uh, things have not gotten any better. How's the doctor? No improvement. He's still losing cohesion. So she diverts back to the simulation in the holodeck and proposes something to the Zimmerman diagnostic character of why don't we merge your two programs, like double the EMH's matrix to therefore double its capacity to have memories and relationships and stuff, which Zimmerman is like, but then you won't have a diagnostic program. And Guess is like, no one cares. (laughs) We won't need one if we lose the doc. Yeah. It's a great reduction of fractions here. I like this. It's clean too. They try phasering the swarm. The swarm is unfazerable. Yeah. Because it's just a mist. (laughs) It sends the energy back along the beam. Maybe the most concerning part of this scene for me, Ben, was between the last bridge scene and this one, Janeway has put on a dustbuster. (laughs) I didn't notice that. I thought that was great. Yeah. That that really increases the tension to me. Do you think they keep a dustbuster in that center console between Chakotay and Janeway? Is that where they keep them? yeah. Yeah, that or the glove compartment. Yeah. At this point, did you know what was going to happen for the rest of the episode? I could guess that the doc was going to be fine, but I had zero guesses for how they were going to deal with this swarm. Yeah. I did not think that they were writing the EMH of the show, if that's what yeah. you're asking. Yeah. But yeah, I think the I think the drama is really high in this moment. And so we come back to Six Bay where the Matrix is now, the, the Zimmerman Matrix is now in with the EMH Matrix who, like, the EMH is just looking, like, really bedraggled at this point. The Zimmerman character being much more, like, rumpled and mussed up. The EMH, like, being a cleaner-cut version of this guy looks real bad. Like, dark circles under his eyes, looking around the room, slack-jawed, not understanding what's going on. But they run the program, and they both vanish Uh, And it's like a rendering thing. Like the computer has to like process it for a long time. So we're not going to know what the result is. Yeah. You just go grab yourself a meal and you come back to your editing workstation and hopefully you have something to watch. Yeah. The swarm is rubber and the Voyager is glue, Ben, because everything the Voyager throws at the swarm gets redirected back at them. It's what makes them so dangerous. And as these bugs start attaching to the hull, this is the climax of the episode. Yeah, they start attaching every which way. And we see a couple of these lobstermen show up on the bridge and, you know, get phasered. A couple of their ships attach on the uh, nacelles of the Voyager. Yeah. And I thought it would have been really funny if just like we just cut down to the nacelle and some lobstermen materializing in there and getting vaporized (laughs) instantly. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that the phasers are on kill and the lobsters are getting beamed out to like avoid dying or are they, I wanted to know, I couldn't quite tell if they were killing the ship invaders or if they were stunning them and and the stunned lobsters were getting beamed away. And that's how I got my new shell. It's an interesting question. Like, do the lobsters intend to kill with their weapon? Yeah. 
hard to know. Um, they they come up with the idea of blowing up one of the ships, and if they can blow up one, it might have a ripple effect. And uh, boy, does this work great! It does work great. And the visual of these ticks all over the Voyager in one scene and then them being ripped off in another. Yeah. It's a striking visual. It just doesn't look right ever. These little yeah. ticks all over. Ugh. Yeah. Get him out of here. Yeah. Don't like it. It's kind of a gross out. And when Kim's plan works, the shields come back up instantly. Yeah. Janeway's rocking a victory ponytail. <laughs> I love the captain's pony. It's a big mood. <laughs> it really is. But what happened to the doc? Yeah. Did our render render successfully? Or are we going to have to call our client and say, it's not going to be EOD. It's actually going to be tomorrow morning and I'm going to be pulling an all-nighter. I did that stupid thing where I did render just the effects and not the entire timeline. So now yeah. I got to go back and like fucking re-render the whole thing. Yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that's not my life anymore. I know. <laughs> so the doc does pop back up and it looks like the second worst outcome has happened here. They get the EMH back, but the doc's memory has been wiped or yeah. has it or has it. It seems like he's clean installed, but then he like runs off into the other room and then we are left to wonder, was he clean installed plus opera? You know, like there's never any res. He's never like, oh, right. Duh, your cast, your BLT. I like singing. I'm going to be very upset if we dig into the next episode and nothing is mentioned about the doc and the doc is just normal. Yeah. Because this is the only suggestion we have about that. I'm with you, man. I think that that is the weak point of this episode is how unresolved that is left. And I mean, it will only be a weak point if it is left unresolved in future episodes. Yeah. But I mean, um, that episode is going to affect whether or not we liked this one, probably. Yeah. Right, Ben? Did you like it? I did. I, I really like this episode. I agree with you that it is good, not great. And I think that there were a couple of little missed opportunities that would have made it great. But I really enjoyed it overall. And I liked how scary this alien species was. And it's very seldom that Star Trek has an alien species that has unknown needs and wants. And, yeah. is, you know, like communication is so much about like what Star Trek is about. And it's my favorite kind of threat is this kind of threat here. Yeah, it's like it's a it's a fun type of alien to have every so often. So I'm I'm glad we got it. To the extent that like I know we're talking about this on our hit new Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Discovery, like is the threat motivated or is it just incidentally destroying things because it knows no other way? Right. That's something right. we don't know about this swarm yet. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if we ever revisit the swarm or, or if they're like done really? with this part of space. Oh, I would hate that. <laughs> I I just expected this to be an arc this season. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't like this at all. I don't know. Who knows, yeah. man? Uh, yeah, I'm with you, Ben, on, on just the overall review of the episode. I'd love a Robert Picardo tour de force episode. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, where they just give him space. Like a basketball player just like taking the game, doing solo shit. Like he's yeah. got the ball, he's going to run the episode, and that's what Robert Picardo did here. I thought he did a really, great job. Really, Picardo's around in a great way. Yeah. Big fan of his work here, and, and that's really the reason to like this episode to me, in addition to The Swarm, which I also liked a lot. Well, would you like to read some Priority One messages with oh, me, yeah. my friend? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first Priority One message is from Kern, and it is to I do not remember. <laughs> and it goes like this. Hello, strangers. I am writing you this message, but I cannot recall why. <laughs> when I woke this morning, I saw Remember Benny Harris tattooed on my hand along with this URL. I do not know what this means, but it must be important for me to have permanently scarred my body outside of battle. Wait, I see more tattooed writing on my chest. Adam P. did what? I love a a Kern Memento crossover (laughs) P1 here. Yeah. Love it. Solid bit of business. Miss you, Kern. Hope you're all right out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, our next priority one message is from Nep. It is to all listeners everywhere, and the message goes like this. I'm catching up with slash running out of Greatest Gen Pod. In an effort to avoid that, here are difficult words to slow A and B down. (laughs) Worcestershire cone schedule. Apertif. Bajor urologist. (laughs) And a question for you both. If eating an alien race is not cannibalism, what alien would you most like to eat? Shout out to Hillary and Mark. I'm not drunk this time. Hey. So there's the question, Ben. Uh, if oh, it's okay man. morally and ethically to eat an alien race, which one would you want to take a bite out of? I mean, these lobster guys might be... If they taste like lobster, I would I would give them a go. Yeah, that's pretty good. Maybe Tellerite? Like, I feel like Tellerite, you want to cook low and slow. Yeah, Tellerite's really the, the wild boar. <laughs> Meat. You want to you want Tellerite to fall off the tusk if you're gonna cook it. Here's what I'm gonna say, man. This might be a gross out for a lot of people. This might Mm. hurt a lot of feelings out there. But I saw how many people enjoyed eating kelpie and ganglia, (laughs) a delicacy. You know the mirror universe folks have eaten anything and everyone. So I think they know what tastes great. And if they prized the kelpie and ganglia like that, that has got to be. Really good stuff. Yeah. So I'm we gonna say a, I'm gonna say Kelpian. We had a listener send in Kelpian ganglia shaped candy that was really tasty. Delicious. So if it tastes like that candy, it would be it'd be really nice. Yeah, but then they'd be eating candy soup yeah, on Discovery, gross. and I don't know if I want any of that. Yeah. That's kid shit. <laughs> it's like Pee Wee Herman shit. You know what isn't Pee Wee Herman shit? You know what we take very seriously around here? The priority one message is you can submit a question like the one we just answered by going over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Ask a, ask a question, make a joke, pimp us into an impression. Uh, any one of those goes a long way towards supporting the production of this show. That is true, Adam. You know, 
All right, buddy. I got a question for you. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I got a video Shimoda over here, Ben. Oh, boy. You get time code for me? Yeah, the time code is uh, 16 minutes, 8 seconds. There's a fun bit of dialogue to visual transition where the conversation goes something like, Look, man, Paris is going to be fine. He's over there. He's going to be fine. And the take that B-Dunks does uh-huh. is kind of a, like a mini thrash on the bed. <laughs> it does not present to me as fine. He looks like a guy like who has a migraine so bad, like he, he's just like in pain. I've had migraines like this where you, yeah. just, you just need to, to move in this way. And he does not look fine to me. That moment to me was the Shimoda where the visual just didn't match the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Uh, I'm going to give it to the diagnostic Zimmerman. Uh, <laughs> I feel like he is he is the character in the episode that was having the most fun. Like, I think that just like getting turned on and going like, you're doing everything wrong. Like, yeah. the failure to even assume that there might be context that you don't have of a diagnostic program is very funny. And like putting that into the personality of a brash and egotistical character is a, yeah. is a really funny writing flourish so he is my drunk shimoda for this episode the effect too in that room i thought was pretty well done like star trek yeah. has a checkered history of of doing these kind of comps and yeah. and it didn't feel too bad it, it, they nailed it yeah it was really good adam our next episode is season three episode five false prophets prophets with an f oh how about false with an F, too? False also with an F, yeah. Okay, just wanted to be sure about that. The crew tries to free the people of the planet Takar from two Ferengi opportunists posing as gods. Cool. <laughs> this is an episode of Voyager that I really love, an episode that pays off a thing that is set up in TNG. And, I'm excited uh, about it. This sounds great. I want to see yeah. some Ferengi again. I do too. We got to find out how we will be watching this episode, Adam. For that, we turn to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. We have a runabout that is currently on square 19. It's a game with a fancy new square, Ben. It is a game with a fancy new square. There's a Naomi Wildman square now. She replaces the Jay Gordon square. We're never going to see Jay Gordon again. Jay Gordon is dead for all we know, but Naomi Wildman is here to take up the uh, the arts and crafts square. But that's way out ahead. We can't hit the Naomi Wildman square today. We could but Thanks hit... to Philippe Sobriero for putting that one together for us, right? Yeah, and, and Colin Anderson for uh, adding it to the thing. We could hit this His Eyes Uncovered square, or we could hit the Banger square that we've hit before. Oh, yeah. I just want to stay in the second row forever, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second row has really has really been a great home for us yeah. lately. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll this bow and see what, see what happens. Wow, I skipped over both of them. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. By rolling a six, Adam, we are on square 25, a regular episode next week. Whoa. All right. Big roll. Big roll. Big roll. Well, 
quite an episode we had there, Ben. We and, did. Uh, and hope everyone out there listening during a, a significant holiday week in December is uh, feeling better than we are, head cold-wise. want to yeah. thank everyone who supports the show. Like, a lot of, a lot of people uh, consider, you know, as we get nearer to the end of the year, I think it's natural to just take stock the things that got you through it. We've been getting a lot of great messages from people who have told us how much The Greatest Gen means to them. And uh, it means a lot to us, too. And it and it's really great to hear those messages from people for whom uh, the show has helped this year. Hard to imagine a show like ours helping anyone. I would say that in equal or greater proportion, the Friends of DeSoto have helped me and Adam get through this year. Definitely. And, Absolutely uh, true. We really really appreciate everyone i got an idea for the folks out there if uh if you've got a last minute gift that you want to give to a friend of DeSoto, how about a gift membership if you go to maximumfund.org slash join there's a tab at the top of the page that will gift them a membership to our show for a year they will get a membership gift and uh, they will get access to all the bonus content and it will help us too if you're scrambling for a stocking stuffer or something it's one of those great stocking stuffers that you just write down on a card what you got them and then they can find out about it on the morning of just imagine the bewildered look of a parent or grandparent opening up a stocking <laughs> stuffer. That is the gift of the greatest generation bonus feed. Mm-hmm. Imagine your Mima listening to an episode of the Santa Monica Mountains in the bonus feed. I kind of feel like the, the bonus feed is the gateway drug into the greatest generation. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's how you get a stranger into us. Yeah. yeah. You, you hip them to the Gremlins episode, a great episode to listen to during the holidays. Sure. You get the Santa Monica Mountains in there. You get uh, you get Factory Seconds. Yeah. Those are great introductions to how weird and stupid Ben and I are. <laughs> uh, we got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy, for running the social media. We got to thank Adam Ragusia for being the music maker of our program. He, of course, based all the original stuff you hear on our show after the Picard song by Dark Materia. And uh, Adam Ragusea, now a great YouTube chef. Go check out Adam Ragusea on YouTube. If you want to make friends with a friend of DeSoto, there are Miriam places to do that. Uh, we've got the Discord at drunkshimoda.com. We've got the Reddit at our slash greatest gen. Uh, we've got the hashtag greatest gen on Twitter. That's like, that's like the bat signal. You write something on Twitter using the hashtag greatest gen. Here come the friends of DeSoto, like a swarm. Yeah. They're going to see that. Are you going to fave star it? They're going to attach their beetles onto your nacelles. <laughs> we get vaporized when they beam into them. Friends of DeSoto, by and large, great people who love laughing about Star Trek. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that is really wearing some fancy outfits. Oh, yeah. Unlike today, where we're both basically wearing pajamas. We're wearing our <laughs> sick clothing. We're in our slippers today. Yeah. Do you think uh, emergency in Dos Artes tequila would be like a pretty good healthful substitute to a, a margarita?
God, you know what? I'll I'll sidecar the Dos Artes, but I'm not <laughs> I'm not dumping that good tequila into my emergency. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.